We've been reading some of the apostles' letters that circulated among the early churches. They read these letters as they gathered for meals, just as we have been doing. And here's an excerpt from a letter sent to an early Christian community. We can imagine it was being written for us as a community that needs prayers and that needs a spirit of wisdom. Since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, this is the reason that I don't stop giving thanks to God for you when I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the sovereign of glory, will give you a spirit of wisdom and a revelation that makes God known to you. I pray that the eyes of your heart will have enough light to see what is the hope of God's call, what is the richness of God's glorious inheritance among believers, and what is the overwhelming greatness of God's power that is working among us believers. This power is conferred by the energy of God's powerful strength, God's power was at work in Christ when God raised him from the dead and sat him at God's right side in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority and power and angelic power, any power that might be named not only now but in the future. God put everything under Christ's feet and made him head of everything in the church, which is his body. His body, the church, is the fullness of Christ, who fills everything in every way. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It's difficult for me to picture the ascension without it looking like a scene from an Avengers movie in my brain. After all, humans don't fly or ascend into the skies, at least not on their own. And in the passage from Luke, Jesus had just proven his humanity as he revealed himself to the eleven. He'd shown them his scars and he'd eaten with them. He'd proved that he was human. And in the next few verses, Luke describes him as being carried up into heaven. And I can only imagine that the disciples, before they went to the temple, they must have had a, a moment of well, now what are we supposed to do? But Jesus hadn't left them without guidance, nor had he left them alone. Our text from Luke, it begins with Jesus interpreting the scriptures to the disciples. And all throughout Luke, we see this theme of the purpose of Jesus' suffering being to fulfill the scriptures. And fulfilling the scriptures, it's much more than just an age-old prophecy coming true. The fact that Jesus fulfills the scriptures, it means that our scriptures continue to be a record of God's redemptive acts and of God's faithfulness. Verse 45 tells us that Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures because we know that we can't truly understand scripture through our own intellect or sheer willpower. It's only from God's goodness that God chooses to reveal God's self to us. And in the Luke text, God chooses to reveal God's self through the person and acts of Jesus Christ. So while we read that Jesus opened their minds to the scripture, 
we continue to read this passage and we see that what Jesus really did was open their hearts to its message and the calling to which that message had upon their lives. This is the importance of the ascension, that it both closes the period of Jesus' ministry on earth and it opens the period of the mission of the church. The mission, it wasn't, it was to begin in Jerusalem, but it was to extend throughout all of the nations. Jerusalem had been the center and the focus of Luke's gospel from its beginning. The Annunciation and the birth of John happened in Jerusalem. The presentation of Jesus in the temple happened at Jerusalem. The focus of Jesus' ministry to Israel, the cleansing of the temple, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the appearances after, they all happened in Jerusalem. So it seems only appropriate that the starting point for the work of the church also take place in Jerusalem. But this important message was not to stay there. It was to begin there and to extend to all of the nations through the preaching and the actions of those whom Jesus sent. So I wondered why these men, most of them had deserted Jesus during his loneliest hour, what qualified them for such an honorable mission? Well, two things stand out. First, they had literally borne witness to Jesus' resurrection. They had seen the risen Christ with their own eyes. And they had grasped the significance of Jesus' resurrection through faith. Their message had become, we've seen him and we believe that what he says is true. We believe that God fulfills promises. And I think that these are still the prerequisites for us as disciples today. We've experienced the goodness of the risen Christ in our lives, and we believe that God fulfills promises. See, Easter changed the disciples, and so it ought to also change us. We affirm that indeed Christ is risen. So also this proclamation pushes us to ask, well, now what are we supposed to do? What is it that Jesus has sent us to do? As Jesus commissioned the disciples to carry on his mission in the world and his ministry in the world, he didn't just give them a task list. He gave them a mission worth living for. And he assured them that they would not and they should not be working from their own power. The first thing that he instructed them to do was to stay put and wait. They were to wait to receive what the Father had promised. I think that we also are called to wait. We have so many resources at our disposal, and they're useful tools, but they can also trick us into thinking that we have enough power to act on our own. I served as a volunteer leader for Young Life during my college years, and one of our mantras was, ministry without prayer is the highest form of arrogance. Every time we pulled into the parking lot of Rome High School, whether it was for lunch 
or a soccer practice or a swim meet, before we got out of the car, we prayed. We prayed for the students we would encounter. We prayed for the teachers and the administrators. We prayed that the Lord would empower us to not be afraid because I don't care who you are, it never gets any less scary to enter a high school lunchroom. We prayed for the spirit at work in us. We prayed that we would be used as vessels. And our policy of prayer was to remind us that we were not working through our own power, but by God's spirit, which empowered us. And while we are called to wait on the Lord, we live in this tension that we are also commissioned to act. Jesus may no longer be physically healing the sick or feeding the hungry here on earth, but the presence of Jesus is evident when the body of Christ serves a meal to someone who needs it or gathers around a table or comes together to break bread. For the first century people and for us living in 2020, the most convincing proof that Jesus lives happens when the body of Christ continues the work of the kingdom. And if we are truly to take part in kingdom work, we must recognize that it begins with blessing. For whatever reason, it seems to me that we've forgotten the significance of blessing. Maybe it's become routine for us. It should definitely be part of our rhythms. But a true blessing should never be seen as ordinary. Our youth group has a special blessing. And if you've ever been near the gym at around 5.30 on a Sunday evening, you've probably heard them shout and clap this tune. Oh, the Lord's been good to me. And so I thank the Lord for giving me the things I need did you catch that? It's not a blessing because it's what we say before dinner. It's a blessing because it encourages us to it encourages us to remember that we have experienced God's goodness in our lives. And it's a blessing because it encourages us to share that goodness that we've received with others. The act of blessing, it's the last thing that Jesus does on earth. Luke tells us that while he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. Blessing is a dominant motif throughout the Gospel of Luke. Those who have received blessing, they can't help but to share that blessing by returning it to those around them. That's certainly true for the eleven. They received their blessing and their commissioning from Jesus with joy. Their response was one of worship and obedience. They returned to Jerusalem with great joy. They could have returned with sadness that Jesus was gone. They could have responded with resentment. After all, the task they had just been given, it was no easy thing. They could have been scared or confused or any number of emotions. But Luke tells us that they returned to Jerusalem with joy. Because joy, it's the authentic result of receiving blessing. Have you ever been blessed? I don't mean just like something fortunate happens to you and you feel so blessed. I'm talking about when someone blesses you. When they recognize and call out your giftedness. It feels so good to be blessed. 
And a faithful response is to acknowledge the blessing and then to seek ways to put that blessing to work. One of my favorite theologians is Barbara Brown Taylor. Reading her book, An Altar in the World, it was a profound experience for me. And she ended this book with a chapter called The Practice of Pronouncing Blessings. The chapter pushes back on the idea that only certain people are qualified to bless things. That, in fact, things are blessed, not because someone has blessed them, but because God made them, and therefore they are holy, whether we think they deserve a blessing or not. Brown writes, To pronounce a blessing on something, it's important to see it as it is. Our job isn't to make things holy. Our job is to recognize the holiness in the things and the people around us. To see ordinary things and ordinary people and to recognize that they each contain divine possibility and purpose. Luke's gospel ends with Christ's ascension and that elevates three characteristic actions of God. It reminds us that we have experienced the God who saves us, the God who sends us, and the God who blesses us. For the disciples, Christ opened their minds to understand that his saving work was fulfillment of the scriptures. And it could have stopped there, but Jesus also opened their hearts to something greater. He invited them to not only receive the gospel message, but to live it out and to do so while being clothed in blessing. And this invitation is extended to us as well. For we are Easter people. We've received the good news of Christ's resurrection, and we've been called by Christ to continue this kingdom work. We've been blessed, and our response can be none other than to share this blessing with all the world, starting in Jerusalem, starting in our own homes and in our own communities, and extending to all the nations. We've received blessing now may our response be both faithful and joyful. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.